This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. The biggest change between this version and previous seasons of this podcast is that there are so many new ways to get involved with the Regenerative Skills community and fast track your learning. If you're ready to take the next step, I've created a wealth of resources at different subscription levels to fit both your time and financial budget. There are resource packets that accompany each episode, full unedited interviews, free book giveaways, invitations to live panel discussions with experts, and bi-monthly skill building calls to explore solutions, connect with support groups, and share your journey. For those of you who want more personalized guidance, I even have a couple of openings for one-on-one consulting. This weekly podcast is just the beginning. Find the subscription that's right for you through our Patreon link on the website at regenerativeskills.com. Welcome back, everybody. Now, if you've been listening to more than a few episodes this season, you'll certainly have heard me mention a few times that I've been hosting the monthly expert panel discussions with Climate Farmers, an organization that is working to promote regenerative agriculture in Europe. The truth, though, is that there's a much bigger story behind that collaboration and a whole lot more going on than just the panel discussions. Today, I want to begin to share the story and the journey that my colleagues and I have been on for almost a year now. Until recently, I've been a bit apprehensive to talk too much about the work that I've been collaborating on with the team at Climate Farmers because it's still a very new project and it's taken a while for us to get clear about our direction, strategy, and path towards our goals. All of those have become much clearer in the last handful of weeks, however, and it's time to unveil this ambitious project and the remarkable people that have worked together to get it off of the ground. So today is going to be the first in a two-part interview with Evo Degen and Philip Berker, the co-founders of Climate Farmers. In this first part, we'll be talking about the concept of the organization, the current state of modern agriculture in Europe, and the goals that we're working towards in order to directly assist farmers in their transition to more profitable and ecologically viable business management in a challenging and fast-changing industry. Next week, in part two, we'll go back to the beginning and hear from both of them about the wild ride that has brought us so far in such a short time and all the brilliant people that make up the team that is making it all work. So be sure to stay tuned next week for that as well. But before we get into the bigger concepts, let's start by getting to know Evo and Philip and the ideas that turned into this initiative. So Evo, why don't you start out with your little introduction so we get to know who you are. Sure. So what can I say about myself? I've grown up in, in Western Germany um, on, a, on a small farm, really only a couple of hectares in a very rural area. Though my family was never sort of never lived off of farming, um, it has definitely marked me a lot to have grown up in this environment. And then I spent most of my professional career, basically all of my professional career in the social impact sector. So basically working with uh, what is called social entrepreneurship, um, that is, how can we build businesses um, which at the same time solve a social problem? So a classic example of this is microcredits um, in, in Southeastern Asia, um, which is not what I worked with. I, I've worked mostly within uh, building ecosystems um, for uh, social change in, in Spain, in Chile and in Berlin. And um, a couple of years ago, I, I was in Berlin um, working on a really exciting project uh, called Project Together, um, which basically uh, 
brought in a whole new idea of how as a society we can work with social challenges. And while this is, uh, continues to be extremely exciting, um, for me personally, I found that I need to return to agriculture elective or return to really being closer to nature, closer to, to soil. And um, I was uh, researching a lot about regenerative agriculture, about agriculture, what is the potential, how could like this huge sector that has such a big influence on, on Europe, um, you know, be changed because there's so many interests in there. There's so many, there's so many political interests, uh, private company interests, um, and what, what is potential to change something there? more or less the the, the time that uh, Oliver you and me actually got uh, talking and uh, I, I interviewed uh, Oliver um, on what he thought would be potential to change the system what regenerative agriculture needed in order to um, in order to scale really what are what are some of the barriers you actually gave me gave me some some very fundamental input there back then I remember that and um, what we have found over time is that um, regenerative agriculture is coming. You know, there's, there's incredible interest in it. And what it really needs is not for us to push it anywhere, but really to create the infrastructure for it to scale. But this is already getting into the, into the details of, of what we do. So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. Nice. Don't worry. We'll get to all that good stuff. But Philip, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and how you got started here? Sure. Um, well, funny enough, actually, Manibu has a bit of a similar uh, story growing up. So for me, it's also the countryside. It's also Western Germany. Uh, in this case, it's not my parents, but my godmother, who was the second closest person to me in my life, who comes from a farm and is a farmer in sixth generation. So I basically grew up also very much on the countryside and with uh, hands in the dirt. And then I also went for the impact sector and for the startup sector. And uh, well, if you work in the startup sector, the cities to be is Berlin and Amsterdam for me. So I spent about eight years there working for different tech startups, most notably Fairphone. And uh, I, loved, I loved my work. I loved the companies. But I did always have the feeling that the, the calling is kind of calling me back to nature. And for me, it was always the thing is, how do I combine the beautiful people that I find in Berlin and Amsterdam? And how do I, I'm, how do I combine my, my drive to have an impact on this world with the fact that I actually want to be in nature and I want to be surrounded by trees? And the solution to that is a solution where a lot of young people come nowadays. It's Portugal, because uh, Portugal happens to be a country which has a lot of beautiful nature. And for some weird reason, people are not really interested in being there. So you have a lot of empty places. And uh, me and some friends, we basically bought an old abandoned village up in the Portuguese mountains. Always sounds a bit more crazy than it actually is, because an old abandoned village in Portugal had about 40 inhabitants at its height. And this is kind of what we're trying to recreate and um, basically buying that village five years ago while still working in Amsterdam, uh, fixing it up slowly. That's also what got me into well, basically thinking more about agriculture, permaculture, Richard Perkins, and then uh, sitting with Ivo, uh, having a beer in Mauer Park in Berlin while it being 43 degrees and thinking, if we don't fix this, whatever we're doing doesn't really matter. And then Ivo being like, did you hear about regenerative agriculture? And he'd be like, I heard about it. Tell me more. And then us deciding to uh, to basically dive deep into that hole together. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what got us sitting here. And lucky enough, it did, because it has been an amazing ride so far. It has. It's been a short, but a really intense ride so far. Things have happened really quickly. And I'm wondering, first of all, how you identified the challenges of modern European farming specifically, because both of you have traveled a whole lot and you've seen agricultural traditions and practices in different places. 
But coming back home, uh, the, the issues with farming here on this continent and figuring out what climate farmers could do and the niche that it could occupy in that industry. I think what we have in Europe and one of the reasons why, um, why with climate farmers we focus on Europe is because it is connected through the European Union and, and, and its system of subsidies. Um, so the system like agriculture anywhere in the world, not anywhere in the world, anywhere in the Western world, I guess, um, is heavily subsidized. And obviously that changes a lot uh, about what is possible and what, what the challenges are in, in any specific place. So in Europe, though, it's extremely diverse, right? Like we have the very arid uh, climates in, in the very south. We have uh, Scandinavia. We have everything um, in between. Um, so while agriculture in Europe is very diverse, it is connected through that, that common framework. And um, what we, we have looked at it from two different perspectives. So obviously on the one hand, really from the farmer's perspective, and we have talked with many, many farmers, both sort of from the more regenerative side, uh, whether like coming from the, from the smaller scale permaculture or larger scale, trying to, to apply some of, the, some of the learnings that come from the US and Australia. Um, but then also having a lot of conversations with really traditional conventional farmers to learn, you know, what, what is, what is the average farmer struggling with? What is, what are, what are challenges that are there? What is, what are things that farmers want to do? Um, what is, what is keep holding them back? And an interesting learning is, I think, at least, at least for me that, um, there's sort of very little in the way of uh, very little that holds farmers, conventional farmers back from applying regenerative um, agriculture. They, they want to do it. They also, many of them, at least today, after, after a couple of years of, uh, of this growing a lot in, in public perception, have a good understanding of their soils and why it is important um, and why they, they, should, uh, they should grow their soil health. Um, what holds them back is not that they don't know about it or that they don't care about it, quite on the contrary. Um, it's really making it financially viable. And I think this is the interesting thing. So the question we get is, um, okay, all of this sounds great. I've read about it. I heard about it. I've talked to other farmers about it. Sounds great. I, I would love to do this. But my farm looks nothing like uh, Gabe Brown's farm. Um, looks nothing like this other person's farm that I've seen somewhere. Um, and now how do I do regenerative agriculture where I am specifically? And how do I do it practically in terms of agricultural practices? And how do I do it in terms of uh, economy? Like how, how do I make money off of this? It, is this will this cost me more? Um, can I make more money off of this? Can I save money? How, how does this work? So basically what we find is the interest is definitely there. But... Um, but sort of on the practical side, it's still very, very difficult to access um, to access the information. And then the other thing is that we still, in some situations, have um, regulation that sort of blocks the development of regenerative agriculture. This is specifically in the case of agroforestry, where many farmers risk losing their subsidies if they put trees on fields. Um, and this obviously uh, is something that um, many farmers can't risk. 
And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done still on the policy side to not only on like on to on one hand um, take the regulations away that limit the expansion of regenerative agriculture and then build policies that actually incentivize regenerative agriculture. Philip, do you want to expand on that a little bit and talk about how this concept came up? Because Evo just identified a lot of the things that are holding farmers back and kind of tying their hands from making the transitions that they want to and also from earning a, a good living through management practices on the land. But you've been uh, kind of instrumental in helping to bring this together as a concept and assemble the team that we now have to move these things forward with a focus on the livelihood and the well-being of the farming communities themselves, rather than the way a lot of these other ag tech companies look to, which is, you know, through the market supply chain or through public opinion. Yeah, I think the, the really beautiful part at the beginning of our journey was uh, we were like, okay, we're interested in regenerative agriculture. Let's visit farmers. So for about the better part of a year, that's, that's pretty much what I did. Uh, I have the luxury of being able to transition between Germany and Portugal by car. So I pretty much did that distance three times. And I just stopped at every regenerative farmer along the way that I could find. And uh, I mean, Ivo touched upon it already. There was in the end always three main issues that kept on coming up for those farmers. And this was uh, access to transition finance. So basically to financing the first three years when you're transitioning towards regenerative agriculture. And then also access to knowledge, which is still a big problem. So uh, most farmers that are getting into it are learning it through YouTube. So they're watching actually hundreds of thousands of hours of YouTube videos, most of the time having to watch a 30 minute video in order to have five minutes of good content. So I would say it a rather inefficient way of learning. And, um, and then the third part, and I think this is also a key thing still to point out is kind of appreciation in society. I think uh, we got to a point, unfortunately, where the people that are actually feeding us and not really the people that are getting the respect for it that they deserve. And uh, this is especially true for regenerative farmers. I think this counts for all farmers, um, but also especially regenerative farmers, which are cleaning up our global and local ecosystem. And that's also what led us to, to have the name Climate Farmers and to start with the website as we started it, where we basically tried to outline why we believe that regenerative farmers are the heroes of our times and uh, where we basically share the stories of these heroes so that hopefully other people get inspired and also get to the situation, I don't want to be a banker. I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a regenerative farmer because that's what's actually really cool. Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we've kind of started to flip that in a cultural sense. And one of the challenges that I've really had kind of getting involved with this company and this place that I've moved to only two years ago is realizing just how much cultural difference to say nothing about language barriers and traditions and you know, all the nuances that are packed into a very small continent, relatively speaking, right? And the things that apply to or that are motivating to the farming communities of Portugal are sometimes different just here in Spain or even in different communities around Spain. And I can't even speak much on many of the other countries that I haven't spent a whole lot of time in that you guys know a lot better than I do. And so I'm wondering, how are we working to improve the situation for farmers themselves? Uh, given that there's so much diversity that needs to be accounted for in that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think this, this is the, I, I was recently in, an, in, an, in a debate um, on, on the EU subsidy uh, system. And, um, and, my, and my thought there was like, I, I really would not want to switch places with any of the people responsible for figuring out how to 
create a system that works for every of the 10.5 million farmers across Europe. Like I'm, 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 I really would not want to be there. Um, what, what we see is that um, up until now, um, we have tried to sort of establish a, a top-down simplified system for, an, for a very complex situation. And um, I don't think I'm surprising anyone on this podcast if I say that this is probably not going to work. Um, or I think we can see by now that it, it, it isn't working. So um, we have a complex system we, uh, and it just does not work to sit in Brussels in one place in Europe and say, this is how agriculture should work in any of these places, any of the microclimates, in any of the valleys, in any of the hills uh, in, 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 this, in this, well, relatively small continent, but still in, on, this, on this whole continent. Um, and so what there, there's, a, there's a bit of a crisis right now in, in terms of how do we continue um, with, uh, with agriculture in Europe because we know that it causes a large part of our um, emissions. It's much smaller than the, than the percentage worldwide. In, in Europe, it's only between 10 and 13 percent. Worldwide, it's about 24 to 33 percent. Um, so it's comparatively small, but we haven't been able to lower it in 10 years. And at the same time, we have all sorts of uh, issues with externalized costs from, from agriculture where we're damaging ecosystems by the way we produce food. And we're basically lowering the resilience of our farms. So uh, endangering the future of our food production. And um, it's clear that this needs to be changed. And it's incredibly heartening to see um, that uh, the European uh, Commission, at least, is very, very clear on that. And, and they understand that they understand the value of regenerative agriculture, something that I would not have believed three years ago, um, that we would ever have conversations with, uh, with policymakers on that level um, and talk about regenerative agriculture, like this, you know, this, this stuff that there was so niche. A couple of years ago so this is incredibly exciting while this is very very complex and still still in its early phases um, a position that we are um, supporting a lot is um, to move agricultural subsidies and and support from a practice-based approach so basically telling farmers you should be doing this or that and if you do this then we will pay you that much um, to a result-based um, uh, system. So where we don't tell farmers do this or that, but we tell them um, your, the, the objective is this. And if you do this, then we as a society can pay you extra. So um, if farmers maintain healthy drinking water, if they maintain biodiverse ecosystems, if they um, capture carbon in their, in their soils, all of these things, and our values to our society that the farmer per se doesn't have so much uh, has an interest in, but you know the farmer has a direct interest in producing crops and and selling them to to survive as a business. So um, if we as a society want farmers to do this, then we need to incentivize this, and we can only incentivize this if we actually pay for the results at the end. So. I, I don't know what a farmer in southeastern Spain needs to do and what a farmer in, in, in northwestern Poland needs to do. I, I, can't, I can't tell them um, because it might be that in their specific valley, um, it's in Spain, it's not 
uh, arid, right? Like it might be that in this specific area is actually quite humid. Um, so we can't, we can't have rules like that. So basically, if we tell them, this is what we want to achieve. We want to achieve ecosystem health, to achieve uh, soil health. We want to achieve healthy drinking water and other parameters. And we make them measurable. Farmers can actually find their own ways to do this. And it's very clear that farmers know the ecosystems the best. They know, they know the best what context they're in. They know the best what to do. And uh, I've, I've hardly ever heard people uh, swear so angrily as farmers about uh, European regulations about what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do because what is this idea of policymakers telling farmers what to do in their specific context it's, it's crazy so farmers know best what to do we basically need to tell them well if you optimize for these things then we as a society can pay you for that and then it's up for the farmers uh, whether or not they want to optimize for these things so that's a really good overview about some of the structural changes that need to happen to kind of regain the autonomy and empower people to make the correct decisions for their land in order to achieve some of the goals that we've set for our society and for our ecosystems. And now, Philip, can you talk about some of the resources that we're providing or building as climate farmers, as an organization, to help make that easier or possible? Um, I mean, as I mentioned before, we have three main angles where we're tackling the whole problem, right? So the first angle is basically appreciation in society, where I have to say Kiss the Ground did definitely a really good job already. Like uh, that definitely changed a lot of the perspective and they did a good job in storytelling. We are putting this more on the European perspective with, with our website, where we basically create the profiles of the farmers. And uh, the second part is the Climate Farmers Academy, uh, where you're also very involved in and uh, where we're basically compiling all the knowledge that we can find online and we're structuring it. So what we are seeing is basically, if you go on YouTube, there's not a good way to find exactly what we need. So we have an open source database where we have written articles, where we have videos, where we have podcasts, and we can e really easily go through and you can take a look at what do I need to get information on? And then you can get to that point and you can find hopefully the information that you need. And we also have people that are passionate about a certain topic that are creation content there for us. Next to that, we are really focusing on, on connecting the farmers in Europe with each other. So one thing that we observed was that there was a lot of problems that appeared in different places in Europe and farmers that made the same mistakes simply because they did not know that this was a problem and that they should not be doing this. A, a very nice example that I always have is uh, we had a farmer in, in southern Portugal in Alentejo who uh, was basically who's applying holistic management principles and uh, while he has animals, he also has cork trees. And uh, he knew that the cork trees need to be at a certain size in order to be able to resist the cows, right? So his line of thinking was, once the trees are big enough, uh, or as big as the cows, I'm fine. And I can let the cows go on there and graze it because I cannot stomp on them. Fair point so far. Problem was, the cows really loved rubbing their backs on those trees. So what happened was, they broke down all the trees and he had to start all over again. Now he knows the trees need to be eight years old before he can let the cows go on there. This is a mistake that could easily be avoided if he would have had the opportunity to talk with another farmer that is applying a similar principle and that could have told him this information. And that's what we're trying to create with our climate farmers community. We have a, right now around 350 farmers from all over Europe in there. And what we're doing is we're doing bi-weekly skill calls. So we're inviting a certain expert on a topic like, for example, Richard Perkins, and then the expert is speaking for one hour on the topic. And afterwards, the farmers can exchange best practices with each other. 
and they can basically tell each other about the experience that they have been having. Next to that, we also have the problem of uh, basically payment for ecosystem services, which, uh, which farmers are providing, and of uh, having a transition finance for farmers that want to transition from conventional agriculture to regenerative agriculture. And this is a very exciting program that we have running at the moment together with Witcher, uh, which we basically created because we saw that there was a need. So we had a lot of farmers that were approaching us that, as Ivo pointed out, basically said, hey, I want to become regenerative, but I don't really know how to. And um, Richard, in our experience, made a really nice uh, regenerative agriculture masterclass, which we use as a basis for a summer program, uh, which is about 10 hours of self-study per farmer. And then on top of that, we spice it up with basically having expert input and connecting the farmers again with each other so they can learn together and they can grow together. And we're building up a consultant database because it's very hard to find a fitting consultant where consultants are basically uh, advising our farmers on an individual level what they should be doing on our farm and where afterwards we will also have this on our website with testimonies by farmers about the work of the consultants so that farmers all over Europe can go online and they can find a consultant that is fitting for their need. And these nine farmers can transition together, together with us and together with Witcher from conventional to regenerative agriculture. And afterwards, the idea is to keep on running these batches and to help as many farmers as possible to do this transition. Well, so that leads me to where I was trying to go to, which is like, this is kind of a popular thing all of a sudden. In the last couple of years, regenerative agriculture has become a buzzword. It's been co-adopted by so many other organizations and influencers and everybody. And I love as your a podcast, result, Oliver. <laughs> yeah, I did it before. It was cool. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was actually late to the game. Um, but as a result, there's a huge influx of startup companies and people trying to get into this space because there's money being invested in it. And it's sometimes hard to distinguish like who's doing what and what part of the industry they serve. So what sets us apart from this sort of ag startup space right now? And, you know, where did we come up with that for the farmers tagline that kind of defines where we're headed? Evo? Yeah, it's, there's a lot going on, um, which is on the one hand, incredibly exciting. Um, I, I think, it was an it was an interesting moment um, because when when Philip and I started talking about regenerative agriculture, well, it was it was still pretty much permaculture. Like pretty much the only thing that was there was was permaculture, and 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 a couple of people that were wondering could we could we like do that bigger? And then there were people like Mark Shepard who had proven yes, okay, it, it can be done bigger, and a couple of other examples, um, and. When we started looking into the potential of um, of this kind of agriculture, um, and there there were a couple of scientific papers about um, carbon capture through agriculture, and I, I remember sort of you know just happening over a sentence that okay well that carbon capture through agriculture I was like wait how much and then started looking for papers and then I found. Uh, the work of Dr. Johnson in in the, the CSU Chico and a couple of a couple of other um, studies. I think okay, wait. If so, if we scaled that, we it would actually be huge. Like we we could actually reverse climate change in three to five years if we if we scaled that to hundred percent of the of the of agricultural land. I was like, wait, what? Uh, and and I was looking for this. I was like, what if this potential is there? Why is nobody talking about this? And would research slowly found okay well, yeah, there is a bit here there's somebody has mentioned it there drawdown has talked about it 
but it, it really wasn't wasn't easy to find information about it. Within a couple of years, this has exploded, and by now it's everywhere. Like I, I remember having conversations in the beginning um, at Climate Farmers with with a couple of uh, of people that I that I met about what we we're doing. And they were like, "This this can't be like this. This potential that you're talking about is impossible." Um, everybody would be talking about it otherwise. And I talk with them now, and they're talking about like you know like uh, obviously you know everybody everybody knows about this. So, so this is incredibly exciting. On the other hand, um, I, th I think there are two major risks that I see. On the, on the one hand, um, everybody is talking about it. Um, at, at least in, in Germany, uh, every major outlet that, you know, within the agricultural space has, uh, has talked about it in the last couple of uh, years. And so farmers that are excited about are very likely to try it and sometimes people in this in this space have a tendency to overblow the potential and make it seem like it's super easy it's it's incredible if you just do this and that and that and then within one year you have uh, you know perfect regeneration of everything um and 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 hundreds of tons of carbon captured and climate change is solved and this is not the way it works. Uh, sorry, sorry to uh, to to pop that bubble. Um, and there's a huge risk of um, of that happening to farmers, of of farmers uh, reading about it, trying it, and being disappointed, talking about it, and very quickly this whole thing of regenerate regenerative agriculture becomes sort of yeah okay yeah it's this thing that Netflix did, uh, but but you know they're not farmers, they don't have a clue. So it it. it there's, there's a risk of, of farmers uh, becoming cynical about it. On the other hand, we have the industry uh, picking up on this, right? Like we have, uh, we have well, we in the beginning, we had Dr. Bronner's and, and Patagonia, which uh, I, I, I love their work. Um, then we had uh, General Mills and um, also impressive, uh, impressive work there. Um, and then we have McDonald's and Nestle and Cargill and Bayer um, uh, picking up on that. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, and um, so what we see is this is everywhere and everybody has picked up on this. And it is the new sustainable, um, it is the new buzzword. And there's a huge risk of this becoming meaningless because we actually don't have a definition of regenerative agriculture. We have a set of principles that um, are very widely agreed upon, uh, six principles that, for example, Gabe Brown talks about or, or, or different, different people in the space, um, and they give a good indication, but we don't actually know what regenerative agriculture is. So now somebody like Cargill um, named as uh, the worst company in the world um, by, by an NGO watchdog can just go and say, we do regenerative agriculture and we define it in this way. Um, so, it, so it works for them. And so we have a, a big risk of uh, this becoming greenwashing term without any actual meaning. And so I, I, I allude to this in the beginning. Um, Originally, when Philip and I sat down a couple of years ago, we had this idea that we have to push regenerative agriculture, we have to convince people, we have to do campaigns to, to convince farmers to do this. And it's very clear we don't have to do that now, uh, that other people have done that for us. But what we do need to do is we need to create an infrastructure for regenerative agriculture to actually um, 
exist on the long term and you know not be just a buzzword that is replaced in the in the shortest amount of time um, and for it to actually have the amazing impact that it can have because um, for example another term that is being used is carbon farming and that reduces it to only carbon um, and very likely a lot of a lot of funny things are going to happen if we reduce it to only carbon and so if we want to actually make sure that we're talking about a kind of agriculture that regenerates ecosystems, captures carbon, improves the profitability of farms, improves the image of farmers, we need to create a bit of infrastructure to make that possible. And Philip and I sometimes joke, uh, what better than a group of Germans to, uh, to create infrastructure? Um, so uh, that, that's what we do now. Okay, let's take a break there because there's a lot more to this story. So far, we've covered the challenges of modern farming and the niche that climate farmers are hoping to occupy in the transition to a regenerative agriculture future in Europe. But the road to get to where we are now, even in this early stage, has been a lot less than smooth. In next week's episode, we'll conclude the interview by going back to the beginning and taking a look behind the scenes at how a young ag tech startup has managed to stick together through a pandemic and turn idealist visions of a healthier farming industry into real work on the ground. Now don't forget that these episodes are just the beginning of the ongoing conversations. Normally, I would direct you to the Discord server for the Regenerative Skills podcast, which is on the website at regenerativeskills.com. And while you should still go there to connect with the growing community of regenerators from around the world, this conversation today about the future and direction of climate farmers is best to be had by sending your thoughts and ideas to info at climatefarmers.org. If you're a farmer or regenerative agriculture consultant anywhere in the EU zone, we want to connect with you. We have free educational resources on our ever-expanding academy for farmers in transition, and we have opportunities for consultants to create profiles and have their work and services added to our database of consultants in Europe. So check us out at climatefarmers.org. A special thanks to Hug Records for the original music from IU. If you want to have your own music featured on the show or just want to get in touch, you can email me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Now that's our show for this week. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.